What's going on guys? Welcome back to another episode of the H Panel. I'm your host Harry Potvin and there's a couple things I would like to address before we get started on our episode today. Uh, first off, I look like a child and this is because November is Movember. While I don't like the baby face, I love raising awareness for men's mental health as most of you know and of course I decided even though I vowed I would never fully clean shave ever again, I decided to start from scratch this year. We are, let me see the date here, November 7th. So we're seven days in. And if you're just listening, I'll give you a little update. Uh, I still don't have a chin. I don't have a jawline that comes with the beard. But the mustache is kind of going in, growing slowly but surely. So I'll be sure to keep all of you who are so interested, I'm sure, updated on that. If you guys did want to donate to my Movember progression, the link will be in my Instagram bio. And then, of course, you know the drill. Like, comment, subscribe, give five stars. No matter where you're watching, show support, comment, you know, share it. Let me know what you think of the episode. I'd love to hear your guys' opinions. So today for this episode, I am joined by psychotherapist Priyanka Patel. Uh, Priyanka is from Vancouver, Canada. And one of her main areas of work uh, includes working with children and adults through trauma, crisis, and abuse situations. And that's kind of an area that we're going to uh, target through this conversation, as well as um, the mental health stigma that is uh, found in South Asian communities. I'm sure you guys will enjoy this conversation. It was very insightful. I learned a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't wait to show you guys. Uh, so without further ado, enjoy the episode, let me know what you think, and have a great rest of your day. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good, how's it going? Good, good. How's, uh, how's Vancouver? It is uh, not too bad, actually. Um, not uh, not great either. Our COVID numbers are getting up and up and up, so that hasn't been the best. But mm. other than that, it's been okay. Yeah, yeah. We we just broke our own record in Ontario. Uh, uh, yeah. Woo! Oh, great. <laughs> um, it's such a tough situation, you know, because there's just so many variables and. Sometimes people are doing too much. Sometimes people are doing not enough. So it's also complicated. Yeah, right. Exactly. How's the how's the weather over there? It's actually really good. Yeah. Um, we've had mild fall. Um, like I don't think we've gotten lower than like maybe four, five, or six degrees. That's like the coldest that's been. Oh, wow. So yeah, so it's pretty pretty fortunate today. It's like bright and sunny. I think it's eleven degrees today. Oh, so nice. We uh yeah, yeah. How about you guys? We we got snow and hail last week, um. So we were like, well, oh. welcome to November. And then this week is all like yeah. eighteen, and like sunny. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't know where okay. it came from. I came to work dressed for winter, and <laughs> I was like drenched after half an hour. I was like, what is going on? Oh gosh. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess, you know, it's it's better late than never, so that's good. So, I, I know. I'm not complaining. I mean, this time last year, yeah. we had like three feet of snow. So, hey, whatever. What, I'll take yeah. any warm weather we got. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So, first and foremost, Priyanka, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I really yeah, appreciate no it. So, my first question for you, uh, before we get to into... There's two topics I want to cover today. Um but before we get too into that, uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of where you grew up, what made you choose this line of work, stuff like that? Sure, yeah. 
So I am a born and raised Vancouverite. Um, born in Vancouver, have lived in Vancouver for the majority of my life, went to university in Vancouver. So I love the city and I love everything about it. Um, the reason that I um, thought to pursue counseling as a, as a career and as a field um, is in part by my own personal interest in psychology and in therapy, um, and also in part of because of my own experience with you know dealing with mental health issues and you know just kind of being a part of of of, uh, of the healing process. So you know, connection and health are two of my truest values as a person, as a practitioner, and um, this has been a field where I can really bring both of those two values together. So, you know, understanding the importance of relationship and connection through work and through therapy while also promoting health and mental health. Um, you know, this was kind of one of the fields where I, I saw that alignment for myself. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely been lovely just over the last couple of years. I still consider myself a relatively new therapist. I've only been practicing for about three and a half years i graduated in um 2017 i completed my master's mm -hmm. so yeah i've only been practicing for about three and a half years but it's it's definitely been a journey it's been awesome that's awesome um so the first uh, so that like i said there's two areas i want to cover wow i can speak i promise um <laughs> and the first one is one that you've kind of hinted at on social media and kind of addressed um in your posts and it's the uh the stigma surrounding mental health in south asian communities um, so that being said, what is the what is the stigma surrounding mental health in South Asian communities, and what is your personal experience with it? Yeah, so to answer the first part of the question, Harry, um, the stigma around it is just that it's not something that's really well accepted, right? It's not something that's also very, really well understood either. And both of those two factors in combination ultimately just bring this really big sense of resistance um, and kind of just like, we don't know what that is, so we're not wanting to get involved with it at all. Mm -hmm. um, if I was to kind of summarize the, the experience as a whole. Um, I think typically and historically in a lot of collectivistic cultures like the South Asian culture, you know, an individual doesn't only represent themselves in the world. They also represent their family as a whole, okay. right? So their own experience, their own identity is also really closely connected to the identity of the family. Um, so it's kind of like that, that really close mentality in terms of, you know, everyone sort of being aware of what's going on for everybody else. And as you can imagine, that comes with a lot of good things and a lot of challenging things as well, because, you know, people are often really compared or held up to the values of their family rather than just what they understand or respect as an individual. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's good in the sense that it's a very supportive community. Um, a community that I'm so proud to be a part of, a, a culture that's very rich, very, very um, old in terms of its history and its roots, um, originally back in India and, you know, in Asia in general. Um, but because of that, there's just a lot of, um, there is a lot of patriarchy in the South Asian community as well, and it still exists. Um, a lot of sexism that can come forward as well, and, and those are the parts that, um are being worked on. I will say that, and I do wholeheartedly believe that. Mm -hmm. But when we're looking at mental health, you know, it's almost like individuals have certain expectations of them. Um, you know, and the family has certain expectations in the South Asian culture as well. And if you're not able to meet those expectations, you know, due to reasons that are associated with mental health, that is very difficult to explain, right? And so another reason that the stigma exists is because, um, you know, if it's a physical illness, if it's something that we can see, like let's say if a person broke their arm, 
right? And their arm is physically in a cast and they can't work. They can't complete their responsibilities or their duties. It's very easy for that to be explained because it's something that you can see, right? right? The challenge with mental health concerns is there is an injury, right? An injury, injury has truly occurred, but it's not visible to the eye. And because of that, it's much more harder to comprehend uh, on top of that, so many different factors come into the picture as well, right? Someone's personality, someone's childhood, their experiences. So even if somebody has, let's say, depression or anxiety, it doesn't look the same person to person to person. The treatment is not the same person to person to person. The healing time is not the same. And so that also adds to the complexity of the nature as well. So I hope I kind of answered your question. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, So it so I guess that complexity, like the how it varies from person to person, is that just kind of, it's too confusing to kind of um, have them address it then? Is that kind of their mentality? I, th I don't think it's too confusing. I think it's just difficult to understand. Right. Sorry. That's right? what I'm, yeah, right. Yeah. I, I think it's just difficult to understand. And if somebody can't really relate to it themselves individually, you know, that makes things more complicated. Another thing is, is in the South Asian community, you know, things are that are very positive are spoken about very openly, mm -hmm. right? So if someone graduated from university or got a new job or bought a new home, you know, all those things are really celebrated and really discussed openly. But a lot of challenges, the tendency is to keep it within the family, mm. right? You know, we, we, don't want to, we don't want word to get out. We want to support each other. We want to take care of it on our own. And fundamentally, I do believe the intention behind that mentality is actually a good one, which many people don't actually say. Right. But I, I do believe that the true intention behind that mentality is good. The unfortunate part of it is, is it results in, you know, discussions not being had, right? And when people don't talk about things, it individualizes everybody or alienates them. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is if a person feels like, you know, I'm the only one in my community who has depression because nobody talks about it. I'm the only one in my community that has anxiety because nobody talks about it. So it's very alienating, which reinforces this tendency of wanting to keep it under wraps, keep it, you know, pressure, um, you know, like not put anybody's eye on it and that kind of thing. Um, so there's that added element as well, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like, well, people with, you know, uh, mental illness and like anxiety and depression, they already think that way to begin with. Like, I'm the only person going through it. Um, so that mm -hmm. added on to the fact that they're like, we don't want to talk about it. I, I, I can imagine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's just, it's, it's very complicated because there can be a lot of people involved. Um, and again, it, it, it brings that factor back of the collectivist, uh, community, right? Is that people really feel like something's wrong with me. How will that look on my family? How will that look on my kids? How will that look on my spouse? Right. So it's, it's, it's not just someone often worrying about themselves, but looking at you know how it will land for their families um, and I always talk about that a lot with my clients who are South Asian as well that you know mental health and, and, and seeking treatment for mental uh, mental illness or, or a mental health related concern is very similar to seeking treatment for any other type of concern right like let's say if a person had cancer or arthritis you know we wouldn't belittle them for you know seeking treatment for those types of concerns on the contrary we would want to be supportive and encourage them um, and that's what we need to do for mental health as well, right? Be supportive, encourage people, right? Really show up for the things that actually matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of answers my next question, which is a great transition. Um, yes. More specifically, though, how um, how can we uh, start to eliminate kind of the stigma and change the conversation of mental health in these communities um, where it's more keep it under wraps and don't let anyone find out? Yeah. 
So luckily, you know, nowadays we have a lot of abilities to really get our voice heard, right? A couple of years ago, even as, as recently as just about 10 years ago, it really wasn't the case, right? There was no social media. There was no way for people to connect as individuals and also for communities to collect as a whole. But, you know, one of the good things about being able to connect with people much more easily is that conversations that haven't been had in the past are being had now. Mm-hmm. Right. And oftentimes what people I hear people say is, um, you know, is, is, is the rate of depression increasing or are more people being diagnosed or are, are more people experiencing trauma? But I don't actually think that it's, it's the fact that the numbers are genuinely actually increasing. It's just that people are talking about it more often and more publicly than they ever have before. And so the conversation is, is you know, unavoidable or unignorable. Right. It's in your face. It's, it's whether you want to discuss it or not. It's being presented to you. And so I think that's the really good thing um, as well in terms of how the destigmatization process can also occur. Um, but it's also a very, very day-to-day process as well, right? So as a practitioner, you know, I, I think I have a, a big responsibility in this destigmatization process, right? Mm-hmm. And so that comes in the form of encouraging, you know, clients to talk to their family members about it, encouraging clients to talk to their children about it, because that's the most important part, right? Being able to pass on good messages to the next generation. Right, because they're going to be the ones that are going to be shaping you know the world of the future and, and the way that we understand things. Right. Another really good thing is the media in general, not just social media, is has improved quite a bit. You know, they, there's still a lot of improvement that needs to happen, but they've improved quite a bit in really capturing um, real stories of people who are struggling and not just you know portraying them in a very negative light as it has been the case historically right right? so they're they're demonstrating how people are still extremely high functioning despite their mental health challenges they're demonstrating how people are really successfully overcoming challenges right we see so many so many shows about that on netflix so many amazing really inspirational films like i mean i'm a huge fan of batman Mm. and that's like a side note but if you actually even look at the films of Batman, particularly this film that came out into Joker very recently, a lot of controversy spiked around that. But what they were demonstrating in that film is someone who has grown up in, a, in, in an environment of a lot of childhood trauma, mm-hmm. right? And obviously that's a very extreme example of, of what can kind of happen. But, you know, and that movie is, is an aside. But what it really did was it sparked so many conversations around mental health around resources, around what is available, what is not available, how do people fall through, you know, the cracks, which is basically what happened to that that character in that film, right? He essentially fell through the cracks. And, you know, in extreme cases, what can happen if if that becomes the norm, right? So things like that, even things that seemingly may not be connected are really speaking about a a very, very important topic. So I think all of those things in combination um, are, are, are really what's made a big difference. And even, you know, specifically for South Asians, a lot of South Asian films are really addressing some, you know, topics that were previously considered, you know, maybe that were just ignored or uncomfortable for people to talk about, like drug culture in India, um, you know, where, what, what drug culture really means. Right now, just a couple of months ago, there was a very, very famous um, Bollywood actor, Sushant, Sushant Rajput, who um, passed away, he committed suicide. Um, And his death was very, very traumatizing and devastating for the entire country. Um, And everybody experienced that death in a very big way, um, just because it was a suicide and and because, you know, he expressed in the very end part of his life that he was struggling with depression. 
and just the way that mental health is looked at in a very few short months have completely changed, right? So it doesn't really necessarily always take a long time. And sometimes these catalyst events are so big and so impactful that they just motivate a whole movement, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I had a point and I was going to say it. <laughs> And I completely sorry. I, I think I spoke too much. No, no, no. You, you. That was great. Um, that that was perfect. Um, I am so mad. I forgot. It was a great. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, oh, if, uh, if yeah, it'll come back around. Um, awesome. Yeah. No, that that I completely agree. Um, I know, as cliche as it sounds, like conversation is the first big step towards you know destigmatization and like normalizing mental health struggles um it, it sounds really cliche and i know some people myself included sometimes when you hear that like just talk about it conversate you roll your eyes a little but um oh i realized i remember my point just saying that okay, okay, okay. perfect okay so i actually had this conversation uh a couple days ago with some friends um and like you said before, mental illness was kind of portrayed as this negative thing. Like people, um, you know, it is important, don't get me wrong, to talk about the struggles that you go through and like the, the low periods, but they would only focus on that as opposed to, you know, how these people, you know, recovered, got out of it, figured out how to work with what's going on in their head. And I feel like that whole area of conversation needs to be highlighted more, especially when, like you said, when you're talking to the younger generation. Because all they know, if let's say they experience some stress or they experience, you know, a low period, all they know is crap. I'm just like that person I saw who had a really bad low period and is still struggling with it. I don't know how to deal with this. And that's kind of what I went through, except I didn't, I I never had like that, that person to look to even like. Like I never, I never looked at someone who was like, Hey, I, w- I was going through something. It was a really low point. It was just, it was never talked about. So when I yeah. got that stress and I got that yeah. depression, I thought my world's done. Like I'm done because I'm in this period. I don't know how to work with it. So talking to the younger generation about you can actually get through it and this is how you work with it. And these are some tips and tr- techniques that'll, that might work for you. I feel like that is so important because then the younger generation will grow up and when they face adversity, they're like, I know how to deal with it now. So my next area of conversation that I, or sorry, my next topic that I really wanted to address um, is a side of mental health that I haven't really, I don't have much knowledge in, uh, and I kind of want to learn about, and it's one of your fields of studies. So my first question is really general, but what is trauma and what kind of causes it to happen? So that's a really broad, broad question. So I'll try um, summarize it um, in a, as succinct of a way as possible. So essentially, trauma occurs. First of all, everybody experiences trauma at some point in their lives. So it's not fair to sort of assume that only some people have trauma and other people don't have trauma. Mm-hmm. Living in this world, especially in this day and age, means that we are all going to be exposed to trauma at some point or another. But trauma essentially is an experience that occurs or something that we witness or something that we can maybe even hear about that really deeply and emotionally impacts us um, and damages the way that our brain sort of perceives the world, particularly our threat detection system. 
mm-hmm. right? So trauma often when something happens that really threatens our feeling of being safe or our feeling of being comfortable or threatens our body's belief in being able to keep itself safe, that's when, you know, a lot of really challenging situations can come about. So what do I mean when I say challenges the body's belief that it can't keep itself safe? So, you know, the body really functions on this understanding that we have you know, the fight, the flight, the flight, oh my gosh, I'm losing my words, the fight, the flight system. And nowadays in modern language, we also include that, um, or have expanded that to include the freeze and the fawn mm-hmm. um, systems as well um, in the brain. And what all of that encompasses um, is our ability to keep ourselves safe and act in ways that's in our best interest. Um, and when that safety mechanism fails or doesn't work or isn't able to keep us safe, the body kind of feels betrayed by itself, right? And that type of experience can be very, very challenging. It happens to folks that maybe are, you know, just crossing the street and maybe they, they get hit by a car. It happens to survivors of assault, right? We have um, abilities to protect ourselves. We, we want to keep ourselves safe and protected. Um, so if that can't happen, you know, then that's when all these challenges kind of arise. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so what are some symptoms that can be experienced when dealing with trauma? Like what are, um, what are some signs that it might be happening to someone, you know? Yeah. So there's kind of like a clinical definition of um, some symptoms, but then in in, in talk therapy, we also look at behaviors that often can result um, from trauma as well. So I'll talk about both aspects. So in terms of very clinical um, symptoms that a person can exhibit, you know, we often find that people experience flashbacks, you know, either while awake or while they're sleeping, you know, very vivid ones about the experience. Sometimes there can be a triggering event. Uh, a scent, a sight, a person, a location that can really bring on a sense of panic or anxiety um, associated with the trauma. Sometimes, you know, the brain might not even be able to remember the experience because it, in an attempt to protect itself, sometimes the brain kind of glosses over some memories, which is why you hear some tra- trauma survivors say, you know, I don't really remember what happened, or I don't really remember who was involved, or don't really remember what happened to me. And that's kind of why. Um, so kind of fragmented memory. Um, is another symptom often that can come up. Um, kind of a gen- in general, engaging in some avoidance behaviors, like not wanting to interact with certain people, not wanting to go to certain places, um, not wanting to interact with um, certain uh, folks or individuals who are involved in a certain event, that kind of thing. Uh, those those could be symptoms as well. Oftentimes, um, we may feel depression or anxiety associated with trauma especially if we're in a cycle of trauma that's kind of perpetuating as well. Um, If it was a trauma that occurred in the childhood, sometimes the way that it shows up is relationally. So in our relationships as adults, with our friends, with our partners, with our family, sometimes that's how the trauma can show up as well. So when we're looking at trauma clinically, um, and if one was to make a diagnosis for post-traumatic stress, um, we drop the disorder, uh, at least not in my practice, we don't use the language of disorder we just consider it as trauma response or um as we say post-traumatic responses uh, Mm -hmm. not disorder um so if one was to get that diagnosis these would be like the classifications that um we would look at um in in therapy when we're doing talk therapy you know it's not really super helpful to just look at those kind of concrete symptoms so we take a step further we look at behaviors um, so kind of break it down into those four categories. I recently actually made a post about this just a few days ago, mm-hmm. but 
um, the four kind of um, categories that we break it down into are fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. So in fight, you know, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? Those really explosive behaviors, aggressive stances, really verbally abusive, that type of language could be indicative of some sort of uh, trauma. The flight behaviors, right, always kind of engaging in escapism or avoidance, right, not really wanting to deal with things directly or purposefully engaging in distractions, like working extra long hours um, so that you don't have to interact with certain things could be a sign of it in terms of action. Um, in terms of uh, the freeze, right, just really numbing down, you know, engage, perhaps that's where the depression would show up, right, not really wanting to interact or associate with anybody. And the fawn is ultimately kind of shown in like those people-pleasing behaviors, right, if that's kind of the trauma that you experienced in your, in your life, perhaps even in childhood, where you had to please somebody, a caregiver, or something like that, that's how those behaviors can sometimes manifest. Mm -hmm. So in, in talk therapy, we look at these actions um, as indicators of, of trauma. Wow, right on. Man, yeah, sorry. I, I don't have much input because I don't know much about it. Um, that's okay. That's fine. I think that was a lot of info, but no, that was um, that's great. kind of how we would conceptualize it, like I would conceptualize it in my work. Right, nice. Um, and then kind of on the, the other side of it, like uh, on a personal level, how would we, uh, how would like an individual be able to personally identify trauma before it gets too severe or dangerous to ourselves? Well, usually, usually it's kind of a feeling, right? So trauma really lives in the body. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times people are quite aware that they've gone through something pretty, pretty traumatic. If, even if they don't have the exact memory or the recall of it, because it happened, you know, the, the brain maybe blocked it out or it happened a long time ago. You know, the body has a kind of way of telling us that something happened based on how we feel in the moment. So that's something to consider as well. A lot of the folks that I work with, to be very honest, I'd say around at least 80 or 85% of the clients that I work with are very aware of their experiences that they've gone through and the traumas that they've experienced, be it in their childhood or their adult lives and their relationship at their workplace, um, while driving, you know, that, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. so most, most people have a pretty sound sense. And for, the, for a lot of people, typically the tra traumatic incidences are exactly that, an incident or several incidences that happened at different times, um, for certain folks who have more complex trauma, complex post-traumatic stress, um, often might have been in abusive situations uh, for a very long period of time. And so that's a little bit further advanced. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of the times people know, you know, they, they know. And it's, uh, and, and, and really anything that, you know, kind of disturbs you or makes you feel uncomfortable or you find yourself ruminating or thinking about it for a couple of days afterwards might have kind of traumatized you a little bit in, in some way. Yeah, right. Um, it, it, so what, what, is there, um, is there like a, a certain amount of people who like, they, they know what happened, but when they come to you, it kind of gets like the puzzle kind of gets put together. Like they don't they didn't realize it affected them as much as it did. Yeah, that happens really often. A lot of times what happens is, you know, people, people find that they've had experiences in their lives and then, you know, they're so used to being in these types of environments and then, you know, they, they kind of start, go to school, start working and then get busy in their lives. And suddenly, you know, I hear this a lot from people, things are going really, really well. And that's when all these trauma symptoms come to the surface right after everything happened, after everything's going well, that's when everything kind of comes to the surface. 
And so I, I hear that a lot of times and people aren't really sure. Like they felt, they felt like, well, I already dealt with my trauma. I already addressed it. I was doing so well. I was working. I was doing this. I was doing that. So, you know, how come this is happening? How come it's, it's coming up again now for me? And so a lot of times that can happen for people. Um, a lot of times, you know, and, and to be fair, you know, everybody's different, right? Mm -hmm. Some people have different abilities. Other people have different skills and resiliencies that make them better able to cope with trauma. And we often see that in the fact that two people can go through the exact same, the exact same uh, incident, right? And one person can be severely impacted for the rest of their lives. And another person might be impacted to a degree for a little while. And then they heal, they get better, they move on, right? So everybody has different resiliencies towards trauma and and so we have to be really sensitive to that as well right just because something traumatic happened to somebody it doesn't necessarily mean that um it's it's the main causal factor for challenges that they may be facing in the present and any good trauma therapist will be able to recognize that and know that right is in that it's really the client's decision as to whether or not they want to process their trauma because some people simply don't, you know, they feel like it's in the past. They dealt with it. They live through it mm -hmm. and they don't want to go down that road again because they don't feel like that's what's meaningful and valid for them. And, and you have to respect that, right? Because right. everyone's journey is very much their own and, and we are in no place to kind of dictate, you know, this is, it is trauma and you are traumatized and we need to discuss it and talk about it. Right. Like it's, that's, that's not the approach. Right. Does, does that um, differentiation between clients, does that raise any difficulties for you? Like, is it hard to um, just because each person's different? Is it tough to kind of find ways to address that trauma? Well, the truth is, is the same can be said for addressing any mental health concern. Right. Right. Depression looks different for every person. Anxiety looks different for every person. Trauma looks different for every person. Stress looks different for every person. Right. So the the same can be said for for any type of mental health concern. Um, and that's what makes it complicated, I think, is because people are unique. Um, everybody's experiences are unique. The resources people have are, are different. Mm -hmm. Right. Some people, you know, it, find it very easy um, to cope and heal because they have access to, to uh, you know, they have a secure job. They have insurance. They can go to a doctor frequently. Um, you know, they can access counseling, which is unfortunately sometimes, you know, not not cheap. They can access that and get the help that they need and, and be able to support themselves really well. They're connected. They have family that they can talk to. And, and some people simply don't have that, right? So everything is going to manifest differently for different people, right? Some people have the ability to buy a gym membership or, or sign up for fitness classes. And that's really, you know, supportive to their own mental health and, and their own concerns. Um, and, and for other people, that's that's not the case, right? So it's, it's different. There's no one love fits all approach in mental health. Right. No, definitely not. So what, um, if you're a family member or a peer or a friend of someone, you know, who has experienced trauma or is, you know, going through the recovery process, what are some do's and don'ts for these people? So I think we need to have an open mind and be able to understand where someone is coming from and be able to be respectful to let them know that they know what's in their best interests right even if it might not be what we agree on it might not be what we think they should or should not be doing you know we need to understand and just resolve the fact that um different people have different ways of coping and you know the best thing that we can do is listen and be a support um, and what we should avoid is kind of trying to influence 
the direction that people are going when it comes to their healing. We can always give suggestions, like, have you considered accessing therapy? Or have you considered going to this group? Or have you considered signing up for this online resource? But, you know, sometimes we become too prescriptive, and that's that's really unhelpful. And the same can be said for a lot of people in a lot of different scenarios mm-hmm. so so that's kind of the challenge and I think when you're when you have a loved one who's going through a particular challenge you know you you want to be involved you want to be there and supporting them and sometimes that energy which is well-intentioned um, can kind of make us really rigid or, or very uncompromising so we just have to kind of watch that and, and catch that as well yeah definitely um yeah I I know uh when I opened up to some people like their intentions were good like you said but they were like you have to do this you have to do that and the last thing I wanted to do was the thing they told me to do um yeah exactly so I think that's what makes the situation much more complicated is that people have good intentions but because they're so concerned for the person or because they feel like I've I went through it and this is where I messed up so I don't want that to happen to this person right they really end up being too prescriptive but that's not super helpful to anybody and it's so tough right like when you're on the outside looking in and you're trying to help them but you can only do so much like there's a fine line there that you have to can't cross yeah um so in a time like right now um of course with you know the election (sighs) uh covid um well, well the pandemic like everything uh, and the fact that the media is kind of, you know, pushing out all this negative news and you're locked inside your house just seeing this, it's it's really hard for uh, people to kind of keep hope and kind of keep mentally healthy. Um, mm-hmm. So my first part of this question is, what are the potential effects of this pandemic uh, on someone's mental health? Um, and how can we stay mentally healthy during this time? And then the second part of that question is, how can one keep hope in a time like now where it seems almost impossible to have? Okay, yeah. Well, so for the first thing that you asked, you know, what are the mental health implications? It's hard to say because we've never faced a pandemic before, a global pandemic like this one. So it's really hard to kind of give an answer in terms of what the long-term effects are going to be because the real answer is we don't know, Mm -hmm. right? We haven't been through this before. We don't really have any information to kind of draw off of. So I can't really speak to that too much. In terms of what challenges people are facing now, you know, obviously people are feeling a lot more anxious. A lot of compulsive behaviors might be being reinforced um, as a result of the messages that we're getting, like wash your hands frequently, maintain physical distance, right? People who have already concerns around that area might find them a bit exacerbated. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of how people can stay mentally well, you know, it's, 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 it's not super complicated right? Like we need to just focus on our own well-being and take care of ourselves in the best way that we can. And it's all really basic stuff, right? Staying connected to our family and our friends, however we can do so safely, Um, you know, doing all the procedures to make sure we ourselves are safe and healthy, following them to the best of our ability, right? Staying informed, but with good boundaries, you know, not excessively watching the news 24-7 because that's not healthy or constantly scrolling through social media because that's not healthy, right? But having good boundaries and relying on good informed sources to provide our information, um, you know, even conversations we're having with friends and family, like if COVID comes up, 
we should talk about it because it's not something that needs to be ignored mm -hmm. but then also putting a cap on it and saying okay like you know we're done we're leaving that off to the side now let's talk about other things so it doesn't get overwhelming right right making sure we have our, our work whatever work we're doing we're invested we're doing the best that we can in in that type of sense making sure we're getting good exercise however that's possible safely a lot of studios are open they're having they have excellent safety precautions and procedures so doing our research before we go and making sure we're going to be safe when we get there when we get there is a good one and um, being outside if that's what you feel comfortable doing right eating pro properly is a big one our meals at regular times and then of course sleep right a lot of our mental health oh my gosh a lot of our mental health and wellness is associated with how we're sleeping so if we're sleeping well and if we're doing, you know, managing our sleep hygiene strategies well, and that's going to be something that makes a big difference also. Awesome. And those are all the questions I've got. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, yeah. That was great. Yeah. No, that was probably, I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to say, it's probably one of my favorite episodes. I learned a lot today. So. Oh, wow. Thank you. Okay, great. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I'll let you go. Um, but sure. have a great rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Okay, thank you so much. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for watching another episode of The H Panel. I really appreciate you guys. For more episodes of The H Panel, click this button right here. And if you want to subscribe for more videos from myself, subscribe is right down below. Thanks, guys.